Welcome to The Beauty of Conflict, a podcast about how to deal with conflict at work, at home, and everywhere else in your life. I'm Chris Marie. And I'm Susan. We run a company called Thrive Inc., and we specialize in conflict resolution, stress management coaching, and building strong, thriving teams and relationships, both in person and virtually. We are starting 2021 with a series based on our book, The Beauty of Conflict for Teams. We'll be sharing tips, tools about how to make your team work more effectively, especially in this remote and virtual environment. We hope you'll walk away from this episode and the series with some fresh ideas that change your day, your week, and even your life. Hello, this is Susan. And I'm Chris Marie. And today we're continuing our conversation and our series on the beauty of conflict for teams based on our book, The Beauty of Conflict, Harnessing Your Team's Competitive Advantage. I think we're going to take a little different twist today because we just finished doing a beauty of conflict for couples. And this is our other book and also a program that we've been leading. And we just spent this past weekend uh, leading it in our office. Yes, for the Haven, which is not in our office, but up north. And (laughs) so it was an online program and it had about 21 couples in it. And we did it for two days. And it was, it's always just very heartwarming and inspirational for me to do this work. And I think you too, Susan. Oh, Yes, for sure. There's no, actually, yeah, that's probably the work I am truly most passionate about, but not totally because it's so clear to me in couples, their commitment to the relationship, their commitment to each other. Even if they're struggling or uh, towards the end, like ending, they, there was one couple that was moving towards ending and it was like their commitment to still, and I don't know if they're going to end now after doing the workshop, but yes. to finish strong was powerful. Yes. And so, you know, really what I love about working with teams is that there, I think it's very similar, you know, now it's not always as recognized in business nor as appreciated, although where it's appreciated is the end results, you know, when you get to creativity and transformation and, you know, awesome (laughs) money-making things. However, you know, at the root of it is still, I think what makes that the most special is when you got you have those relationships that are just singing and it's you working. Know, it's so true. I, I interviewed two leaders. Um, one, we're going to do some more work for and another one, just uh, their company got bought. And so they've moved into a, a much larger company. But, uh, you know, these are different conversations. And they said, you know, I think what the, the main thing is, Chris Marie, about what transformed our team is the, the, the concept of an A-team, that we had each other's backs. We were the team. And another one said, you taught us how to do these four different types of meetings. He said, the one that we resisted the most was this daily check-in, 15-minute stand-up. He goes, that would be the last one I let go of. It's not like it's all so efficient, but it creates the connections with these humans that really bring the magic to teamwork. So this has been sort of something I've think I've been passionate about forever is it's like your people are your best resource. Yes. Um, Results matter, but maybe your people matter more. But that may just say something about my own valuing (laughs) system. Chris Marie's always reminding me, both are. We like people and results. Yes, we do. (laughs) So today we are going to focus on something that we talk about a lot in couples, which we are referred to as the four horsemen. And we're also going to be identifying this through our book. And we're going to be talking about Chapter 18, which is how tense moments equal creative opportunities. And that's really that sense of conflict where we bump up into each other and how you handle those moments uh, really lead to whether it's going to be a lost opportunity or something more. 
And so often on a team, when we talk about this in chapter 18, a lot of times it's the leader or the loudest, loudest <laughs> that has the biggest impact on a decision. And we think that is really costly to creativity, transformation, engagement, because even you, longevity of the team, people you, staying there and, and continuing to build. Yes. And what gets in the way often, though, of being able to address that problem is what we're going to talk about in terms of the four horsemen, some behavioral pieces that show up that may or may not sometimes get rewarded in business. Yes. <laughs> and, and what we want to say is they might have some rewards for rising you up on the ladder, but they're going to have some really critically bad impact on your relationships. (laughs) Well, not only on your relationships, but on you internally. And I think that's the key that people don't recognize is the cost to themselves as a human being and the cost of the relationship. I think both are true. Both are true. And in, in chapter 18, we actually talk about a situation where we were working with a leader who brought us in because he wanted to kind of deal with some of the dynamics going on his team. And, and then when he got direct feedback about, you know, how one particular person one daring person on the team dared to speak up and say, look, you know, you always side with, side him. with him. You, He's the person you talk to the most. You send him in to check on our areas of <laughs> uh, our business. And and the leader got pretty defensive pretty quickly. Like, we are not going to make him the scapegoat and make him the problem. And to her credit, she courageously said, I'm not making him the problem. <laughs> I am making you the problem, <laughs> you know? And Took the to leader, the leader. To the leader. <laughs> took the leader back a little bit. And, you know, there was a bit of defensiveness. But, you know, we reminded him, you wanted this. Remember, you wanted to find out why the team wasn't operating as a team. Now you're getting that feedback. You may not like it, but sit in it. Mm-hmm. And he did. And he began to realize, you know, he did like this particular person more. They had their own little team. They had a mini team <laughs> within the team. And we see that so often where yeah. leaders... They like somebody, they have a similar style, or they think this person's going to get me the results and they sidle up to them and they become the confidant of the leader, which totally fractures the trust across the team. And most times the leader is unaware that that's what they're doing. Yeah. Or maybe they're not unaware they're doing it, but they're unaware of the impact to the team. Yeah. And sometimes they're not even aware they're doing it Mm because people don't say anything. Like this had taken a lot for this woman to speak up and Mm -hmm. say what she thought was going on. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she wasn't about to do it. I mean, I think part of why she did it was because we were there. Yeah. And this is why as a leader, you know, when you get someone who's telling you something you don't want to hear, just shut up and listen. Because <laughs> it's probably is really, sorry, that's probably a bit prompt. No, I think that is <laughs> no. really good. And it's so hard because you want to go on the defense. You want to believe I'm not doing that. But I think your counsel, Susan, is spot on. Like, just be quiet, even though you're like wanting to defend or this put that person down and just say thank you at the end. If that's all you can muster out and then say you'll come back and talk to that person later. But mm-hmm. just really take the feedback because it's taking so much courage for that brave soul to speak up to you. And most people aren't making stuff up. Right. You, you, as leaders, we uh, as you rise in the organization, you get less and less honest, direct feedback. Most people are wanting to kiss 
your bum and make you, you know, they want to ingratiate themselves into you so that you give them raises, you like them more. And so if somebody's willing to be that direct, I would really honor that. So I just really wanted to <laughs> underscore that. You know, the, the irony is, you know, we see this in couples. Like it was, you know, even over <laughs> the weekend, there was one couple and that it, I really loved that this person was so willing to say, you know, I realized what we were giving them a tool we talk about on here called the five by five. And you're welcome to go back. It's a tool to help you talk about something that might be difficult. Both and, in business and in yeah. a couple. And this particular person was like, you know, I don't think I've ever used the tool like that. I'm so busy interrupting most of the time. <laughs> and I really got so much more out of having to make myself listen. Yeah. And I just, I was so touched by the humility in that and the mm -hmm. humbleness and the same, you know, I've heard the same thing when a leader sits back and doesn't feel like they have to have the answer, but just starts to listen. Yeah. And it's like, you got some good people out here. Mm -hmm. Don't get so busy that you miss them. Right. Yeah. I think that's great. So the 555, we have a podcast on it. So go back and look at that, but it's a boundary conversation and it's really powerful. Now, why we wanted to bring this in so shortly after the couples is because, you know, in a couple, it's very obvious that often a couple is looking to how do we make this relationship last? How do we sustain it? Or and, how do we even make it work right now? Yeah, you know. <laughs> hopefully it will last. And uh, Think you about know. your couple out there. <laughs> and the truth is, in some respects, you actually want that on the team too. Mm -hmm. you, and you really kind of want that in your organization. You want people engaged and committed. However, we don't pay quite as much attention to those relationships. But there are people out in the world because of marriages and coupledom and that have done tons of research about what makes a marriage work and a couple work. I have to say, sometimes people will be like, you know what? I don't understand how you work with couples. And then you say you work with business teams, Chris, Marie, and Susan, like pick a niche. What, what's going on? <laughs> and the reason we work with both is one, we really have some strong heartbeats with working with couples because we really like to help see people connect. But that's also true on teams. And the dynamics can be so similar because what we're dealing with are two or more humans who are trying to be an individual, struggling to kind of work together on something and trying to make room for the other human beings in there. And we fall down in the same ways, both in our couple and on our business teams. And the truth is in our book, Chris Marie, you know, we really, the you mean model, the business book? both, really. oh, they're nice. the same model. That's true. <laughs> I don't know if anyone's picked that up, but you know. <laughs> if you try to be the accomplice for couples, you'll see the you same know, model. You'll see that it's very similar. And there's a reason for that because the dynamics and relationships, like we say a team is someone who's passionate about something, a goal, yeah, yeah. and they have smart people and they're high stakes, high stakes, and they're going after something, differing opinions. Well, in some respects, that's the exact same dynamic. I know. On a, on a couple, we talk about it having a romance where you meet this person and you're like, oh my gosh, all these good things can happen. So all of a sudden now you have a goal, a high stakes goal, and you're passionate about this person and they're different. So they're unique and they have different opinions. And yeah, there you go. Ooh. I mean, I know you guys out there listening are probably thinking, do not tell me that you know working <laughs> as an executive is like a marriage. And so I don't want to scare you. But uh, so I'm not going to, you know, well, I am going to say, Try thinking of it more in terms of it's an important relationship. Yes. Okay. So we want to talk about some of the things that have come out of some of the research about couples. Can I go there? <laughs> you could, and I was going to actually go there. <laughs> I saw you raising your hand. This she gave me happening. kind of a, a look, so we'll talk we'll about talk that. that. It was a bit for connection, so I was trying to pay attention. <laughs> okay, so uh, the Gottmans from the Gottman Institute in Seattle, he's a researcher, she's a clinical psychologist, and they have studied couples. So couples come into their lab and they 
study their behavior. Thank goodness for these couples that are willing to do that. And they have found there are four behaviors that they can predict with 90% accuracy, whether a relationship's going to fail or go on. And within like the first six years, they have that predictive. And so the behaviors, we're going to give them to you. We're also going to relate them to teams. But for you, just as you hear them, think about how you show up with your partner and how you show up at work. And the first behavior is criticism. So that's being critical of what something's saying, pointing it out. The second is contempt, which contempt is really, I am better than you. So it's this, I'm better, you're less than energy that comes out. We'll talk about how that shows up. The third is defensiveness. And the fourth is stonewalling. I think defensiveness is, you know, you start to explain your position. Stonewalling is really, I'm not going to talk about it. You disengage, you somehow want to get away. That's stonewalling. And it's often because you're flooded. So we believe that similar to the research they've done in couples, I mean, our experience has been that these same four horsemen show up on teams all the time. Yes, they do. And <laughs> in uh, leadership teams and project teams, across organizations, mm-hmm. you know, obviously you may not have the same motivating force to pay attention to it. What's ironic about these is sometimes people get rewarded yes, I for think, how critical they can be. Yes. And in some respects that they think they're superior. Yes, that's you know? true. And they can defend their position. Yep. So it's a very tricky ground sometimes just to be in an organization and recognize the four horsemen showing up and even inside yourself and not think I'm getting rewarded for this. Mm-hmm. But we really want you to look at, it can be at a pretty high cost. To the relationship, but also to yourself. That's why we work with teams Often, you know, you're in, you're swimming in a corporate culture that does reward these four horsemen, but in a team, no one would say that directly. I no. don't think any business says we are now going to really give you bonus checks for how often you demonstrate these four things. So, yeah. but no, they wouldn't. But you can start to watch who gets promoted and how are they behaving. And I have seen this in organizations, and people start copying this person who is just behaving poorly towards people because he or she mm-hmm. is getting rewarded. Yeah, so that's that's how I learned my behavior in that culture. But I wanted to say on a team, those relationships are closer. Hopefully you're working on something together and you've got that meaning and purpose in that container. So even if you're swimming in that culture, you can have a different experience on your team. Yes, Susan, you're raising your hand. Go ahead. <laughs> so, Because I also want to talk about, I mean, they talked about the four predictors of what you know, leads to a failed marriage or relationship. And it's important to pay attention to these things and really think about this in terms of your business, what they described as, you know, the foundation for success or mastery in, in couples is, you know, things like trust and commitment, friendship, goodwill, laughter, reinventing meaning and purpose, Asking open-ended questions, which means, you know, well, t- uh, I don't actually understand that, or why is that so important to you, or help me understand. They do that often. And responding to bids for connection. And why I bring that up is because if you think about that list, I know those aren't the things that you think of, boy, I want to make sure the people I hire have these. But if <laughs> you think about where you've really loved to work, where you have gotten the most out of things, most of these things I'm going to guess were a part of it. And yeah, let's just talk about them a little bit more. So even the last one, like what does it mean to respond to a bid for connection? Well, in a couple, it means, you know, if you're having coffee and somebody says, oh, I'm reading this in the paper, the other person would 
would not just ignore it, but actually, oh, tell me about it. Oh, that's interesting. You'd have a little conversation about it. And I was going to parallel that to a situation that I was on in a team recently. Well, actually, a person I was coaching was describing this to me. They said, you know, sometimes there's this one person and they bring up something and no one says anything. (laughs) And we don't acknowledge what was said. And I have to admit, I have have my own little thing of like, oh, this is going to slow us down. There's no way I'm going to pay attention. This is the client who's saying that. Yeah. And, And yet at the same time, you know, even he was recognizing that person is offering a bid for connection. They want something. They either, you know, want you to say, no, this is not a good idea or- or here, huh. here's what, what I'm understanding yeah. your, your idea is. Tell me more. But the worst thing in the world is that silence. When, you know, And I know another leader I worked with said, sometimes I put things out and I just get crickets. Yeah. Nothing. I hear nothing. So those are those opportunities. They're bids for connection. And when nobody says anything. Yeah. Those can happen in a meeting where you're saying something and it's like, excuse me, but it's like a turd in the middle of the room. Nobody acknowledges it. Mm-hmm. It could even be just responding to people's emails or texts. We worked with a CEO. He would reply to anybody's email. It did not matter where they were in the organization, who they were. He would respond within the day and often within the hour. He was so conscientious and still is when I email him. (laughs) Now there's other people that- And it wasn't like a tiny little organization. No, it's a 300 million, something like that. I meant numbers. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, another company that we work with, they all complain that it's a horrible email culture and some emails just are not answered at all. And it's like, where did it go into the abyss? Because that's really like, oh my gosh, what I'm saying is not doesn't matter. Who I am isn't important. That's what can happen when you put out a bid for connection and it's not met with anything. And I also, I don't know, I've sat in many a meeting where there's not any real open-ended questions. Oh, gosh, there's just no. a lot of kind of, here's my idea. Here's what I think. Mm-hmm. You know, even if you're agreeing with someone, you're still not really asking to further their idea, you're just jumping in with yours. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it does help sometimes to just ask that question, like, why is this so important to you? You are fighting for this and I'm not sure what's going on. Mm -hmm. Or help me understand, what are you talking about? And I don't get it. You know, and we have talked about this. I don't know if we've talked about it on our podcast. We certainly talk about it in the book. The larger the meeting, because sometimes we want to have, especially virtually, let's just invite everybody because everybody wants to know. And If you have more than 12 people, and 12 is a high, high number of people, people don't want to drop in and look like, well, I don't know what I'm talking about. So they will more, you know, advocate for their position, making statements versus dropping into that inquiry and being willing to look vulnerable. Yeah. And really a a size of six to eight is probably a sweet spot on a team size. Now, I want to kind of move us, Christmary, to talking about two of them that I think are maybe a little harder to spot. Are we talking about the horsemen now? Yeah. Okay. I'm going to talk first about contempt because I think, you know, really contempt can seem a little bit like criticism, but the key difference between just a critical leader and a contemptuous leader is if that person actually thinks they're superior. Yeah. And, you know, I'm going to bring up a, a touchy topic, but one that I think is, you know, we often come in to do what we call, you know, the kind of leadership development. And I am always struck by leaders who are like, my people need this. <laughs> and Where the executive team isn't willing to go through the leadership now, development. Now, usually there's a whole explanation about we don't have time, we're too busy, we're too this. But a lot of times there's also an element of contempt 
Like these people do not know how to do the most basic thing a leader should know how to do. And it's like, wow, do you realize if you showed up as a genuine person and just demonstrated that without the superiority in a group of your leaders, how much influence? What do you mean if you showed up? Like if they showed up at one of the developmental programs themselves and didn't come in, you know, kind of watching and waiting for their people to develop. Mm -hmm. but just were honest and real themselves, Mm -hmm. their people would get the benefit of their mastery. We've seen those types of leaders do Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. And if they think it's for the other person, and you know, I've talked on a podcast how my own level of contempt can rise up. I can think I know more about this. And so, you know, contempt can be how you know there's contempt. It's interrupting, it's correcting criticism, finishing somebody's sentences, which we do all the time, but I hopefully that's positive. <laughs> Making fun of, even non-verbally, like eye rolling, turning away, sighing, walking out of the room. And I do think though, I mean, I really want to bring this home to paying attention to checking yourself, whether it's contempt or criticism. Because the contempt is that superiority piece. And you know when you think you're better than mm-hmm. your people. Yeah. Like, just, we're not saying that doesn't ever happen. Just own it. It happens to all of us. So I want to really normalize it. Of course, you're going to feel contempt at times. The key is we want to raise the flag that this is not a healthy thing. It's not even healthy for you because no one of us is better than. And it's tricky in an organization because there you go. There, I'm the boss. I am better, right? I was coaching a woman who was working for a well-known you know, personality and she was part of their business team and asked a question. And from this well-known personality got, oh, my God, you know, kind of like the signs, like that is the dumbest question in the world. And she pretty much left the organization because she's like, I don't want to be treated this way, you know? And so people can believe their own press, their own positional authority that I am a better human being. I deserve more airtime and you should be quiet. Get out of my way. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I think it's even more right now with all that's going on around diversity and inclusion. Mm -hmm. It is so easy to think that I mean, the whole idea is that as a white person in our culture, we probably do, we get taught that we're superior. Yeah. And so there is always going to be some blind side to contempt. Mm-hmm. And whether you really want to own it or look at it or deal with it, and diversity training isn't going to actually really get you there unless you start really looking under them. Well, hopefully it'll give you some in- indicators so we don't want to diss it, but it really is that real time. Wait a minute, what am I doing in this meeting? Maybe it's not even a person of color or it's just another human being that I think I'm smarter than. And that same behavior happens. Like they ask a bumbling question or I ask them a question and they don't come back with a you know, sharp answer. I'm like, okay, I'm losing respect for them. They're no longer, you know, mm-hmm. it's that entitlement that I am better. So, you know, that contempt is a big one. Now in the, in the world of marriage and things like that, that is actually the one that's the loudest Story. Can you talk more about why, Susan, that contempt is bad for the human or any of these horsemen are bad for the individual? It's certainly bad for the relationship, but why is it bad for me to keep going mm-hmm. to contempt or keep criticizing? Or I mean, I think the biggest uh, issue there is you're in a place of separation from yourself. Like when you think you're better than, superior to, there is always a way in which you are separating from just your own humanity. We yeah. are we are fundamentally 
all humans. We are equal. I mean, not just you can deal with this with humans, but we have a huge amount of contempt for the world around us, like mm-hmm. other animals, other <laughs> you know. And it's like, really? You know, these animals have been more resilient and live longer than a lot of human beings on the planet. <laughs> but w- because of our neocortex in our brain, we start to think we are better than. I think this is true. <laughs> and just even being, bringing it back to the human race, this is, can happen to leaders or celebrities. You know, like they start to believe their own press that I am a better human being. And then they're confronted with their own divorce or health issues or some they fail at something and they can't handle the failure because they've believed I am better than. Yes, I maybe this is where you're going, Chris Marie. I've <laughs> always said that really smart people have a much harder life to live because they sometimes they're right a lot of the time. Then when they make a mistake, it's huge. Mm-hmm. Then when they don't understand it, it's really big. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's even harder then mm-hmm. to sometimes turn inwards and really look at it. Yeah. And, you know, so I've always been grateful that I wasn't that kind of brilliant. You are but, you know, well, I mean, you know, got a lot of opportunities to be humbled. Let's just <laughs> call it that way. So now I, the other one I did want to talk about that I think gets really missed in business is this stonewalling idea. Yeah. Because really behind stonewalling usually means that you are flooded or overwhelmed. People may not understand that term, but I certainly have a felt sense of it. When I am flooded, there's something happening. And emotionally, I am like, it's like my CPU is all filled up and I can't even process because I feel like I'm going to cry or I feel angry, whatever. I'm flooded with my emotions. And, And frankly, I think this is one of the ones in a business culture that has been almost trained out of people. Like, I don't know how many executives I've been working with, and especially in the last year, yes. where it's like, well, for the first time, there's this, you know, we have a world pandemic, so we're going to pay attention to stress. But <laughs> the reality of it is, I would say that a lot of people, executives in particular, have been dealing with their own internal flooding and feeling overwhelmed for a long time. And you just don't admit it in a culture that's all about get it done. And so you don't even recognize that what's happening is you're you don't answer the emails, you don't respond to people, all these other things I have. But underneath it, you have this internal sense of constantly being flooded and not being present. Yeah. There's one leader in particular who doesn't answer texts, doesn't answer emails, goes on to the next thing. I have a sense that this person is so stressed that he doesn't even realize it. You know, I was trying to ask him to close his eyes and breathe. And he's like, I, I can't do that. I've got to go on. Yeah. You know, it's like, I'm trying to stay ahead and triage just the bare minimum of what I have to do because I am so overwhelmed with or, what I have to do. Or they do it in a language of, that is a dumb thing to do, breathe. I'm not going <laughs> to, now you see the contempt coming out, but behind that contempt is really what's even worse is the sense of helplessness and feeling flooded and not knowing how to get out of that. Yeah. And the key to stonewalling, if you recognize yourself sort of feeling like, I never have time to do anything. Before you go there, um, if you don't have time, or if you're like, I'm just not going to talk about it, we're not going to talk about that subject. That is the stonewalling. So you're walking out or you're shutting down. I'm going to check my phone and you're ignoring this other person, even if they're in the screen in front of you. So, I mean, you're not going to want to hear this, you big time executives, but really what you need to do is step away and self-sue. Take care of yourself. Do some self-care. You know, if you don't like that, what a different way to frame (laughs) this is, is take a distracting break. So how this showed up in the couple's you know, they were studying these couples and they'd be into this fight and stonewalling each other. And they'd say, okay, go take a break, read a magazine, go out in the waiting room. We've got some technology issues. And they would take a 20 minute break, a 30 minute break, come back in. And it was like, it was a different couple. So what happens when you take a distracting break, take a walk, read a magazine, do something completely that feels good to you. 
your brain comes back online because you're processing those cortisol and the adrenaline gets absorbed into your body and you can think better and respond better. And the problem is if you wait all day to finally be able to kind of do something different at the end of the day, and nowadays you're at home anyway, so it's all the same territory probably, you you really are missing an opportunity to get to your highest level of brain power, yeah. as well as your highest ability to relate and be relational on these meetings that make, you know, let's face it, remote meetings are hard enough for yeah. connection. If you are absent because you're not really dealing you mean, with yourself. You mean you're there, but you're absent in your brain because yeah. you're stonewalling. Then you're really not going to have the connection online. So we would encourage you to actually skip the next 20 minutes of the next meeting and go take care of yourself mm -hmm. and come back and you will be a better human being and more effective. On yes. the stonewalling. So what I want to do is Susan's giving you kind of the antidote to stonewalling. When you recognize you're stonewalling, when you recognize you're criticizing, meaning Susan, you need to do it differently, which I go too often. <laughs> what is the antidote to that is rather than talking about the other person is actually identify what you're feeling. Like I'm frustrated and then say a positive want. Like I want us to create the outline for the podcast or I want whatever that is. I want us to get to next steps at the end of this meeting instead of just talking about one topic. Yes, that's great. So yeah. I feel frustrated. I feel anxious. I feel whatever. So be willing to locate your feeling and reveal it. And then the, I want, so that's what you do if you're stuck in criticism. Now, if you're stuck in contempt, that really is where you have to work to build your bids, recognize bids for connection, do things to build your bank account of goodwill. Yeah. And appreciating this person is not a loser. They have other, <laughs> other attributes that you admire and are doing their job. Well, find ways that you think they are actually doing things well. And recognize that. And, you, and if you say them when you're still in the contempt, it's going to sound phony. But if you just recognize them, then when you're feeling different, you can come back and say something to this person about what they do do well. You might find that's much better than just carrying on with your, oh my God, these people are worthless. Because when you're in your contempt, you're in that stress spot where your IQ is dropped 10 to 15 points and you've got a narrow focus. So you're only focusing on they couldn't answer that question or they're not doing this. And you're missing the larger picture of who they are and what they contribute. So with defensiveness, this is, you know, to me, this is like classic leadership stuff. You got to own your part. And this as a leader can be really hard because people want to only tell you the good stuff <laughs> and, and your defenses, I can almost guarantee you, we all do them and you need somebody who's going to tell you, and then you need to be willing to own. I do do that. Yeah. Or I am doing that right now. Yeah. I so, feel defensive. Yeah. But it's not like you have to get rid of it. You just need to own it. And that can be why well, I am defensive. I think I would actually say you're not going to get rid of criticism, no. contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling in yourself. But the key is to recognize them as red flags and ask yourself, what do I really want here? And then use these other pieces that we're telling you with the criticism I feel I want, with the contempt, build that bank account of appreciation, defensiveness, own your part, and then stonewalling, take that distracting break. Yes. So we hope that you found this helpful and um, we will continue to bring things out about from our book, The Beauty of Conflict for Teams. And, you know, couples and teams in our, from our perspective, aren't that different. There's so many human dynamics that are the same. So if you would like us to speak at your organization or work with your team or couple <laughs> or uh, coach you, please reach out to us at thrive at thriveinc.com. That's T-H-R-I-V-E 
at T-H-R-I-V-E-I-N-C.com. And you can find out more about us at our website, thriveinc.com. Okay, take care. Wow, Chris Marie, I have sure been enjoying doing this series for teams and utilizing our chapters from our book, The Beauty of Conflict, Harnessing Your Team's Competitive Advantage. It's been fun to go back and review the material and apply it to virtual teams. It's true. And it's so much good bite-sized material in these chapters. I mean, if I do say so myself. (laughs) And if you want us to speak at your organization, or work with your team. Yes, virtually, we've been doing that, team sessions, or coach you or leaders on your team, please reach out to us. You can check us out at our website, www.thriveinc.com. That's T-H-R-I-V-E-I-N-C.com. Or send us an email, write us directly. We're happy to chat. T-H-R-I-V-E at T-H-R-I-V-E-I-N-C.com. That's thrive at thriveinc.com. Okay, take Take care. care. 